we looked into what it would take for us to work with one of the incumbent wholesale traditional distributors that are dominating in the space for national natural foods distribution and CPG. And it was just a nightmare ahead of us. There was no transparency. Everybody we talked to said it was a necessary evil if we wanted to scale nationally, but they're going to squeeze you for every dollar that you're worth. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm so excited to share a concept with you that I just love and think its time has come. So I want to welcome Larissa Russell, who is the CEO and co-founder of Pod Foods to The Irresistible Factor. Welcome, Larissa. Thank you. Hello. It's great to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so pumped for you to tell everyone what your company does and what it's all about because I feel like there's a lot of parts of the CPG world that have progressed. And then there are some that are sort of stuck. And I think distribution is one of them. So why don't you tell us what Pod Foods is and how you conceived it? Yeah, absolutely. So it all started when my co-founder and I started a cookie company way back in 2014. We were making green pea cookies. So they were these little cookies out of roasted green peas. And we were selling them. You know, We did Kickstarter. We had our online store. But the time came to enter retail. So we had all this feedback from our customers that they wanted to buy our products in stores. So we started to approach retailers and get ourselves placement on some shelves. And that's when we ran into this big roadblock of wholesale distribution. So the retailers would be looking to buy our products through a distributor or a middleman in the supply chain that essentially buys and sells product so that they could get the quantities that they needed and also buy the products all in one place instead of getting them directly from us and then directly from somebody else's cookie company or kale chip company or you know whatever it might be. And we were among hundreds of thousands of brands that are trying to reach their consumers in retail and they are emerging brands. So these aren't the Coca-Colas of the world. They're the up and coming businesses that are trying to cater to the new era of consumer tend to be more nimble, meeting the consumer where they are in terms of the demand for personalization, something better for you, something healthier. And when we came into this process of entering retail, it was apparent that the wholesale distribution system was really not set up for brands like ours. So after we got that feedback from the retailers saying, okay, I want to buy your products through a distributor, we looked into what it would take for us to work with one of the incumbent wholesale traditional distributors that are dominating in the space for national natural foods distribution and CPG. And it was just a nightmare ahead of us. There was no transparency. Everybody we talked to said it was a necessary evil if we wanted to scale nationally, but they're going to squeeze you for every dollar that you're worth. You know, they'll buy product at the lowest price they can and then hold it in inventory, not tell you how much you have and sell it back to you if it doesn't sell through at a given rate. And we looked at that and we thought, wow, there's a lot of opportunity to be had if we can create a new model for distribution that still provides that value to the retailer of being able to provide a consolidated delivery, you know, the right quantities of specific products all at once. But instead of squeezing out small business on either end, could align incentives, help businesses grow 
save margin in the process for everybody involved, and then ultimately add value back into the industry. So what we've created is a B2B marketplace, and it basically connects brands and retailers directly on an online platform where the brands can set their own pricing, they can set their own promotions, they manage the relationships directly with the retailers, which allows them to ensure that they're servicing the consumer well at the store. And then we facilitate as part of our service in the marketplace, the end-to-end logistics. So the brands have access to the infrastructure they need to scale their business. They have the transparency and analytics based on all of this real-time data that they're seeing about the orders that are coming through. And of course, you know they have access to our retail network, which if you're just starting out in the space can be extremely valuable because it's all of this access to retailers that otherwise you're costing a fortune for you to build relationships with yourself. And then on the retail side, they now all of a sudden have access to this segment of emerging brands that really no other distributor can service at the scale that we can. We can bring on any brand regardless of order volume, meaning they can just be starting out and we'll be able to assess the projected demand for that brand and help them get an initial foothold in retail and scale up from there. So ultimately, it's about providing the consumer what they want, even though this is a B2B business and we're creating a solution for the brand which is really unlocking that value proposition for the retailer. That's incredible. And, you know, I mean, I think what you said at the beginning, it's such a big hurdle to overcome for brands, like trying to figure out how to get distribution when you're so small and budget constrained and all the things. It feels like such an important piece of business to take care of. And the fact that you guys are helping these brands already is so incredible. But I'm curious on a couple of fronts, how do you help them predict? Like, let's say there's, you know, you mentioned really small brands that are new and don't know how much they're going to sell. What's your model for helping them predict what their volume could potentially be? So we're seeing our transaction data. So every Mm -hmm. single order that comes through, we're able to see based on the ingredients of the product, the product qualities, whether it's non-GMO or whatever it might be, woman-owned, matching that with specific buyer profiles and what that buyer is looking for. So maybe the buyer is really looking to focus on local products. Maybe they want vegan chocolate or they want a specific margin target that they need to drive and there's mm-hmm. for. We take all of this data and we're able to measure the success of our recommendations and our transactions with every single order that comes through. And all of that is used to inform future transactions. So the recommendations engine that we've built is consistently getting smarter but it also ties into our inventory optimization. So when a brand is first starting out with us, we'll recommend that they launch in specific warehouses if it makes sense. So maybe they come on with an anchor account that they already have, or we think that a number of our key accounts or one key account will have interest in this particular brand and we're able to pre-sell it. And then we can bring that product into the warehouse. We also have a program called Pod Direct, which is essentially enabling the brands to drop ship to the store directly. It's all the benefits of Pod Foods, but without logistics. And that can be a really great foray for brands that have no presence in retail or they want to expand into a region where they otherwise have no presence. And that is a lower risk way because they don't have to send inventory, the retailer Mm -hmm. buy a product. And then as volumes pick up within that retailer and across that region, it really makes sense to aggregate logistics and ship into our facilities. That's incredible. Can you talk about the kinds of retailers that you're working with? Are they all the big guys or is it limited? We work with retailers of all different personas. So we've got the independents, which would be what you might think of as a mom and pop corner store kind of thing, maybe natural food store. We work with regional key accounts, as we call them. So typically they're going to be 10 to 50 store kinds of chains. They have a corporate structure, but they're limited regionally. 
And, you know, you might not have heard of them, but it might be the dominant grocery store in a specific region if you just happen to live there. So they're really essential for volumes and getting that initial foothold and proof points for lots of these brands. And then at the national scale or multi-regional scale, we're able to work with enterprise accounts as well. So one that we recently announced is Sprouts, where basically, you know, Sprouts onboarded us to service a number of their stores. Same value proposition, you know, they're looking to innovate and bring in the latest and greatest products in a way that makes sense for their business. So we can work with enterprise accounts. And then we also work with quick delivery. It's a smaller part of our business, but yeah, we work with GoPuff, for example, and those kinds of models. So the difference between what you guys are doing, I mean, there's a lot of differences. Obviously, you're giving access to distribution that people just cannot possibly get on their own or at the early stages. But what's different? Like you're talking about transparency. So are you sharing transaction data with your brands that they would not be able to get from a distribution partner, for example? Yes, they see all of their real-time data. So every single time a store places an order, they're seeing what was ordered from the facility, from the warehouse, or if it was Pod Direct, they're responsible for fulfillment of that order. So they're able to see which SKUs are selling better and which locations. They're able to set store-specific pricing, region-specific pricing, and same thing for promotions. You know, if they want to push short-dated product or if they want to do a free fill or whatever it might be, we can accommodate all of that because we're sharing that information. And with traditional distributors, you know, if you're going to get that data, first of all, you're going to pay an arm and a leg. <laughs> and second of all, it's not going to be real-time data. So at the end of the month or period, whatever it is, you will get a very cumbersome report that you then have to navigate. For us, it's all visualized in the dashboard. They can see exactly what did well, what didn't do well, and adjust their sales accordingly and what they're going to be producing accordingly in the next period. And do you help them with that stuff? Or is that like you turn the data over and and it's up to them to figure out what to do with it? We don't manage their operation, but we do have a whole brand guide to Pod Foods, which does contain a lot of universal industry information about, you know, how to pack cases and pallets and how you should be structuring things logistically and requirements basically for reaching a shelf, which would probably be applicable to a number of different distribution models besides just ours. Mm -hmm. And do brands generally, like how long has Pod Foods been around? Did you say two or three years? Or more? We launched our first product in 2018 okay. and we switched over from the cookie company in 2017. So we were operating off a little prototype in June, 2017, and we've been building ever since. So interesting to me that, you know, and what happens when brands like, have you had brands that you've worked with that have started really small and then all of a sudden became big brands or not all of a sudden, but grew into bigger scalable brands that have moved on to different models or do they generally stay with you once they grow? Yeah, we aim to partner with brands for whom our access points are compelling and will scale with us. So it's okay. really all about how quickly we can get these retail relationships Right now, I mean, if brands need to access accounts that we don't yet service, that's a shame that we don't yet service them. But, you know, some of these brands are venture backed. They need to grow extremely quickly. So they're going to add another distributor to do that. Yeah, that's okay. But the faster we can grow and get into all of these retail points, there's really no reason why a brand would need to switch or move or add another distributor because we're 20 to 30 percent more affordable or we help them earn that amount more versus the incumbents. Because we're eliminating all of these hidden fees. Yeah. We're radically more transparent. And so it's just a better experience overall. But ultimately, for brands, you know, they need to grow their business. So it's also about access points. And that's why we aim to get 
access to these retailers as quickly as we can to help our brands grow into the locations where they need to be. So you're doing this. Is there anyone else doing similar things? Like, how do you see the sort of future of how brands get to retail? Because, you know, I think during COVID, even before that a little bit, there was such a push for DTC and it was so huge and it was everything, right? And now there's like another swing the other way. And DTC is obviously still a thing, but a lot more people have gone back to brick and mortar and brands are starting to feel the pain of not being there if they're not there already. So what do you think is going to happen in the next couple of years from a distribution perspective? Is the industry actually going to change because more people feel the way that you do? Or do you think it's just so ingrained in how we do business that it's always going to be an issue? Yeah, I mean, we aim to disrupt the whole industry. So if it's up to Mm us, it's going to change dramatically. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, the consumer is responsible for what goes on moving forward. And we're on the side of the consumer because we're coming in and we're bringing them the products that they want in retail stores. Yeah. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter where people are getting their groceries, whether it's on their doorstep through these quick delivery services or an Instacart, or whether it's in the store or that they schedule to pick up with the store. They're still buying through distributors if you look up the supply chain. Every Mm -hmm. single retailer has to buy through distributors if they want to buy brands at scale. Sure, for a cafe, you can go directly to these businesses, but it's extremely cumbersome. And from a unit economics perspective, it really doesn't make any sense because you're going to be drop shipping case by case or, you know, shipping a full truckload if you have that ability. But many retailers don't have capacity even for, you know, an LTL shipment from one specific brand because they don't have a a warehouse of their own. So they buy from distributors and we see the distribution model is causing a lot of challenges. The the traditional distribution model is causing a lot of challenges because it's not able to keep up with consumer demand. So it's not just about emerging brands. It's also about the ability to cycle in and out products based on this real-time understanding of the assortment that's going to do the best in a particular location. So if you look at Amazon, for instance, or online stores, they're able to optimize more in real time because it really doesn't cost anything to put a product online and display it to a consumer. But if you have limited real estate in this retail space, you're bringing in inventory risk. You buy product and it sits there. And the problem is that Mm -hmm. these retailers are also buying from suppliers that have inventory risk. So Mm -hmm. for us, we have this concept called an infinite warehouse, which empowers the infinite shelf. So the retailers can ultimately bring in the products that their customers want because we don't have minimums as a middleman. Ultimately, yeah, that is the case for online retail, offline retail, quick delivery. It really doesn't matter. But in the end, the consumer needs to buy the products that they want to buy at the right price, place, time in a way that works for them. And we're empowering that assortment optimization to happen. How have you guys gone about developing relationships with the retailers? Because it's interesting because you did this because you couldn't get what you needed, right? You wanted distribution. It was really hard to get. You saw a need and a void. But then you had to establish those relationships anyways. How do you go about that? The retailers want to bring in these products, but they don't know where else to get them. It's really comes down to the brands that we carry. So, of course, the whole marketplace chicken egg situation. Yeah. <laughs> but they experience challenges with traditional distributors and carrying a lot of these products. So you do see some retailers going directly to brands to source the products. And that was really where we started was being able to take those brands and say, to the retailer, we can help you consolidate all of your logistics in this regard and bring in products into your store in a way that makes sense for you, for your processes, for your unit economics and things that you're trying to achieve in the store. And the same goes for the brands because otherwise they're self-delivering to the store, drop shipping, and it really can't scale. 
So there's not only frustration on the brand level with getting distribution, but you know that there's also or has been frustration on the retail side. Well, yeah, because if the brands don't have access to distribution, the retail is struggling to procure those products. And maybe they'll do it for a few products directly, but then it also becomes a discovery problem. You know, you go to the trade show or you know your niece's best friend's nephew or whoever it is that makes brownies or whatever they make. And that's how you're making decisions. But it could be that some specific product that you've never heard of is going to be flying off the shelves for consumers in your specific demographic in your area at that specific location. So we help them make data-driven decisions. Of course, relationships will always play a part, but we augment that. And then we help them get the products to the shelf in a way that they're familiar with, which is that they order a whole variety and they get a delivery, one consolidated delivery for all Mm -hmm. of the products that they ordered, which they otherwise wouldn't have access to through traditional distributors. Amazing. So you started up, you had a brand that was a better for you brand. Do you only work with better for you brands or is it really any emerging brands? It's emerging brands. Everyone has a different perspective on what better for you. Uh, That's true. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it really comes down also to the idea of personalization for the consumer. So if somebody thinks that it's all about vegan food, like they can filter by vegan for their set of customers, or if somebody thinks that it's all about whatever, you know, whatever their specific preference. And then we're able to customize that assortment for them. But, you know, sometimes it's just a healthier alternative to something that otherwise has a lot of preservatives and chemicals in it, but Mm -hmm. it still has sugar and it's still, you know, a snack. So it really depends on how you think about it. But what we don't see is a lot of emerging brands coming out there with products that are just filled up with chemicals and things like that. That's what I was just going to ask you. So you would have a little (laughs) insight into what is a big deal and what's important in emerging brands because that's who you're working with. So you're not seeing a bunch of new brands that are high sugar, high preserve, like the things you're mostly seeing are headed toward better for you, would you say? Oh, definitely. I mean, sometimes they contain sugar or their desserts or something like that, but it's more, I would say, clean label. So not the whole ingredients you can't pronounce situation. Mm -hmm. What about sustainability? Like, is there a big emphasis being placed on that from a retailer perspective or consumer perspective, or is it just sort of a nice to talk about? Yeah, we've come across retailers that specifically look for brands that are having specific qualities that you might consider sustainable. I mean, I don't really know. Sustainable doesn't seem to mean anything specific. (laughs) I know it's sort of like better for you, right? Right, exactly. Or natural. Yeah, but it's just kind of a general trend. And then There are specific product qualities that some of our brands claim, like 1% for the planet, or even, you know, if you look at sustainability from a socioeconomic perspective, they're small businesses, or maybe Mm -hmm. they're woman-owned or whatever. And some retailers have specific quota for bringing in products from those kinds of suppliers that are more unusual and trying to support different things. So they can choose, but the whole idea of sustainability, it's, I would say that it's taking on a pretty general term, but things are moving in that direction overall in terms of perception among the consumers. And I guess that's trickling up or down, however you want to look at it, the supply chain. Interesting. So you went from a founder of a brand, I mean, you founded another brand, but you went from a founder of a CPG brand to doing this, which is a B2B business. Talk about that for a minute. Like, how do you, are there similarities? Are there major differences? Is there anything you miss about what you were doing versus what you're doing now? Yeah, it was a pretty smooth transition, really. We knew exactly what we wanted to build because we were our own customers. Like we were solving our own problem. 
looking back, it is a pretty drastic difference from CPG company to B2B marketplace with you know data enrichment and so on. <laughs> but we knew the vision was going to be from the very beginning of the company, day zero, because we had been in the shoes of our customers. And then everything else was this sometimes meandering, sometimes very straightforward path in that direction. We were really fortunate to attract good investors and then you know, just a great team around us of people who saw the vision and believed in it. A lot of this industry is passion fueled, I would say, you know, food is a little bit personal. And so the people we were able to attract early on and still today just care a lot about what we're solving for and believe in the mission. And so definitely have not done it alone. And I think that our biggest strength has been able to attract the right team. Amazing. How big are you guys now? Like from an employee perspective, and I assume you started with just you and your partner and you've obviously grown. Yeah, started with just the two of us. And yeah, now we are about 70 employees right around there. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's so exciting. I'm so excited because I think more things like this need to happen to make it easier for people to get into retail. I think that's such a big hurdle for so many people that I've spoken to, so many founders. And obviously, you did this because you were one of them. It's incredible to me that it's taken this long to sort of find a way that wasn't the traditional, as you mentioned, non-transparent way of helping founders get to consumers that need them. Yeah. I mean, we were asked that question when we first started the company by investors that were looking at it, like, why hasn't this existed before? And we would answer because we had talked to our brands, the first ones that we were onboarding, and they would say things like, I had this idea, but I am too busy like making my jam or whatever their company was. They already have businesses. So most of them are really, really dedicated to what they were doing. For us, we, we loved our cookies, but we just saw a much bigger star in front of us. Like We were really excited to move in this direction. But I think it's just that the issues we're solving for are really arcane. You know, lots Mm -hmm. of consumers just go to the grocery store and buy product, but never even consider. And I am guilty of this before I started the company as well. Never even consider how it got there. No, Uh, how would you even think? What would even enter your mind, really, right? (laughs) Right. And why would it? You know, unless the product's consistently out of stock, then you might Mm -hmm. ask the buyer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the people who are aware of the problem were occupied. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's so amazing that you saw the opportunity and you really went for it and and put the other thing sort of on the back burner. Will you ever do another brand like that? Well, never say never, but I'm pretty, (laughs) never, (laughs) you know, I just, it's a hard life, you know, many respects to all of our brands. It's very, very challenging to grow a CPG business and we aim to make it easier and smoother and more fun. So maybe we achieve our vision here at Pod Foods, then it'll be more accessible for us to relaunch green pea cookie or something like it. So great. Any advice you have for people who are in the place where you guys were a few years ago, just like started a brand, aren't sure what to do aside from reaching out to you guys, obviously that makes a lot of sense. Any advice for founders that are thinking about all these things and trying to figure it all out? Well, I would say, yeah, definitely reach out to us, but Maybe just, you know, you can see this in the market as well. Last year was just so much hype and craze and go raise a bunch of money and grow as fast as you can. And then Mm -hmm. it's more like go profitable tomorrow. And that kind of Exactly. It's so wild how fast it changed and how dramatically it changed. Yeah. And in CPG, I guess same. I mean, you're probably closer to that space than I am in terms of the investor perspective. But Mm -hmm. from that side, I would just say, don't get caught up in the hype. Just focus on what you're doing and, you know, make sure you're making money 
and the rest follows that. Like if you stay focused on where you're actually trying to go and make sure your business model makes sense instead of just trying to appeal to what you think other people want. I think that's just general founder advice if I'm to give advice, which I don't know if I'm qualified to do at this point. (laughs) How do you feel about the way the market has shifted? You know, there was money flowing all over the place and it was, I'm not going to say easy to get funded, but it certainly wasn't as hard as it is right now to get funded. And maybe it was too easy in a way because everyone was getting funded. But how do you feel about the shift? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's a little bit different because we're operating in an industry that has a lot of tailwinds, even despite the challenges. So sometimes, you know, SaaS companies right now, it can be really hard to go get sales because businesses are just tightening up around across the board, but people still buy food and grocery. And even with inflation, you know, the price sensitivity to these kinds of products is really different than what it was even 10 years ago. Everybody wants something better for you. So we are plowing steadily ahead. Of course, we pay attention to things and the way people perceive the company and the things that they're asking about this year versus last year, just from an invest perspective is slightly different, you know, just a more conservative perspective. But for us, I would say we're weathering the storm. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Any other thoughts you want to share before we wrap up? I mean, well, I do have one more question for you. Can anyone like, does a brand need to be of a certain size or scale to work with you guys or? No. So if they are ready for the shelf and they have, you know, FDA compliant production, these kinds of things, they can sign up online and our process, our onboarding process or our team will guide you through which solution makes the most sense. Sometimes if the brands have no traction, it'll make more sense for them to start on our pod direct solution, which is the dropship program. But we're working closely with these brands on a consistent basis and any transactions that they see, or if they want to start, you know, getting their own sales and using us as a logistics solution quickly they can transition into the pod express facilities. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, I think this is fantastic. And I'm so excited that this is the direction that the industry is sort of headed in because I think it's so time. So I'm really excited for you guys and I'm so happy we got to connect. And I think this is going to be such a good episode for people to listen to, because I do think that there's a lot of, what do I do next? How do I get into the stores that's still happening? And so I hope that you guys get lots and lots of great exposure. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much also for being here. I really appreciate your time. And I think this has been a great one. So I will keep you posted on the dates and everything else that goes along with it. Great. Can't wait. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your evening. Thanks, Christy. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.